Beth, I'm, I'm really sorry, but this episode might contain some spoilers. 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 I'm going to have to leave. Sorry. Yeah. If you've not watched this episode, then uh, sorry, you're going to get it spoiled. Let's go. Let's do it. Rise and shine. Rise and shine. <laughs> okay. Stormy. Baby. Should we begin? Yes. Uh, Release the beast. Baby. Welcome to the Who Watch podcast, where we're watching every episode of Doctor Who from 1963 to present day. She's Beth, I'm David, we're two huge Doctor Who fans, and we're continuing our Who Watch journey this week with The Sensorites, the seventh ever Doctor Who story. Before we begin, please do remember to subscribe and follow us on the social medias. You can find us on at Who Watch Podcast, and you can email us with your thoughts on the story or the episodes or anything you like at the Who Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Plus, if you're on Spotify, you can let us know your thoughts via the Q&A buttons. And if you're enjoying our travels through time and space, please do give us a rating on your podcast provider or tell your pals, spread the gospel of the Who Watch podcast. The Who Watch podcast. <laughs> Don't know what that was. Well, that's the worst Christmas carol I've ever heard. <laughs> it sounded a bit like the Simpsons theme tune, didn't it? It did, actually. Yeah. Um, I have a message from my friend Evan here who says... Hi, Evan. Hi. Hi, Evan. Hi. I'm catching up on Who Watch, and I just wanted to say that you and David are a pair of sillies. <laughs> and then they've clarified to say, that's a good thing. It's very entertaining and makes me smile a lot. Um, thank you, Evan. We love you. Love your feedback. Thanks. Thank Keep you. it coming. Love your hair. Hope you win. What? Love your hair. Hope you win. Don't know what that is. Ugh. Me at the sensor rights. They don't have hair. They do have hair. <laughs> they, have, they have like face hair, but they don't have head hair. No, they're very, they're very bold. This week's story is a six-episode adventure in which the TARDIS lands inside another spaceship. Take a deep breath, because we're going in for a long one. <laughs> are a you lot. ready? It's the long haul. It's the long haul. So it seems that the crew of this ship are dead, but the captain, Maitland, begins to come around. Ian revives him, and another member of the crew, Carol, with a heart resuscitator. We love John. Uh, no, ignore that. <laughs> I was going to say we love John and Carol. We haven't met John yet, so just ignore me. Carol and Maitland. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Carol and Maitland explain that they're from 28th century Earth and that their ship is orbiting the sense sphere, but they're not allowed to leave orbit of the planet. That's because the planet inhabitants the sensorite are stopping them from leaving and are controlling the minds of the crew. They put them to sleep, but never kill them and even feed them regularly, which is quite nice if you think about it. Lovely, it's quite sweet. I want yeah. to be able to go to sleep regularly and be fed. Me- While getting to know Carol and Maitland, a mysterious sensorite removes the lock from the TARDIS door, making it impossible for the Doctor, Barbara, Ian and Susan to leave. What a pickle. The sensorites try to send the ship on a collision course into the sense sphere, controlling Maitland and Carol, but the TARDIS team seem unaffected and stop the ship from crashing. Carol explains that people seem to be affected differently by the sensorites and that her fellow crew member, mineral expert and boyf John, have been driven mad. Barbara and Susan eventually stumble upon him while making food for the crew and they get locked in an ominous room with him where he collapses. Once the rest of the crew realise Babs and Susan are locked in with Maitland, they begin cutting through the door to retrieve them. In an exciting cliffhanger, a sensorite ship arrives and the crew turn to face the viewing window in which we get our first full sight of a sensorite. The cheeky sensorite paralyses Carol and Maitland but the doctor manages to wake Maitland up so that he can continue cutting through the door to get to Barbara and Susan. Meanwhile, John seems to be confused and communicating telepathically with the sensorites who are trying to force him into frightening Barbara and Susan. He refuses because he's liable. 
He's loyal to his new pals. He refuses because he's loyal to his new friends. He's loyal to his new friends. Two sensorites enter the ship and Susan mentions that she once visited a planet of telepathic plants. She works out that they can overpower the sensorites by focusing on the same phrase at the same time, communicating to them... We defy you. The sensorites collapse. They were right. Go, girls. Go, girls. Go, 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 go. We girls want to take control. You boys better no, no, no. We girls going to run this show. They're finally released from the room by the others and they put poor John to bed. But not not before he mentions... Sorry, you just expected me to just... No, I expected you to go with that. Girls are about it. Get rid of it. Get with it. But not before. He mentions the phrase, the dreams of avarice. Ooh... Ian theorises that perhaps John made a discovery about the sensphere that would be of value to the human race and that perhaps the sensorites didn't want them taking that information with them, so trapped them in orbit. The Doctor confirms that the sensphere is rich in mol... Why do I get the difficult <laughs> words today? <laughs> molly... Molly... Molybdenum. Molly Marsh. <laughs> Molybdenum. <laughs> molly Marsh. Molly Marsh. Host of the Galactic Yo-Yo. It's Molybdenum. Molybdenum. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how I was going to remember it. That's how I was going to remember it. <laughs> I was I was watching it and I was like, I need to remember this. It's like this. Didn't we do that like for the Keys and Baroness episode? We, as well? we did. <laughs> the Doctor confirms that the sense sphere is rich in molybdenum. A rare. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going. <laughs> A rare and precious material. Barbara and Ian go and look for the sensorites, who are again attacking the ship. Barbara tries to figure out how to lock the doors and imprison them, while Ian, as always, resorts to violence and threatens them with a big-ass hammer. Barbara takes note that while they're locking the sensorites out, they never actually try to physically harm any of them. The sensorites begin talking to Susan telepathically, asking her to ask the crew if they can have a little chat, which they all agree to. They tell the travellers that they have secured a bit of the sense sphere, specifically where the humans can live in peace, and that they won't be allowed to leave. The Doctor is like, have a day off, and refuses, asking for the lock to the TARDIS back. The sensorites go off to have a little think. The Doctor, being the clever little fellow that he is, notices that the sensorites' eyes dilated in the light, meaning they would be blinded by the darkness and scared of it. Same. The Sensorites once again contact Susan, who, in a plot twist, agrees to go with them to the Sense Sphere because if she doesn't, the Senses will kill all the humans. Again, the Doctor is having none of this and chases after them. He demands that she is returned and the Sensorites say they need a hostage to ensure the safety of the Sense Sphere and its inhabitants. Susan is keen to save everyone and agrees with the Sensorites. The Doctor gets a bit mad at her for this and super upsets her. He goes to grab her, but the Sensorites finally draw a weapon. But our companions are proper smart and Ian dims the light, leaving the Sensorites terrified to the poor babies. The TARDIS team run for their lives. The fear doesn't stop the Doctor and Susan having a full-on argument about whether she's old enough to have autonomy or make decisions. And the Doctor takes zero accountability for his behaviour and blames the argument on the Sensorites instead. Classic. All the while, Ian and the Sensorites have struck up a deal. Babs and Maitland will stay on the ship with a Sensorite warrior while the others pop down to the Sensphere to chat to a Sensorite elder. They also agree to cure John once they get there. The Sensorites finally reveal that the reason they trapped the ship in their atmosphere was because they had dodgy dealings with humans who had visited the planet before. The previous explorers had found the planet rich and eagerly left to inform the human race, but had a little crash on the way out. Apparently, that crash polluted the Sensphere with a mysterious disease that has been killing off the Sensorites ever since, with more dying every year. The Doctor promises to try and discover the cause of the disease. The elder Sensorite discusses with his pals that it's a risk to invite the humans into their palace, but that it will be worth it if the Doctor can cure the disease. The other senses are a bit apprehensive of the humans, 
humans, calling them loud and ugly and that they shouldn't be allowed in the palace. They doubt the elder censorite's leadership behind his back. Cheeky. There's one particularly vocal censorite, the administrator. He tells the other censorites that he does not trust the humans and he wants to kill them off. Meanwhile, the Doctor, Susan and the humans finally get to the court of the elder and John and Carol are taken off to be cured. The administrator prepares to kill them, but another censorite orders him to stop, claiming the travellers to be harmless. Phew. The administrator isn't happy, but backs down and begins to plot an uprising. In a welcoming meeting, our travelling team are given food and water, and the elder gets mad that the food and water isn't good enough, and that they should be treated equally as him. He demands special crystal water, but by this point, Ian was a bit too thirsty, and went at the normal water he'd been given. The elder explains that there's a hierarchy on the sense sphere. Elders wear two sashes, controllers wear one, and the rest of the population wear none. So basically, you can't really tell them apart. He also explains that the higher in the social order, the better quality of life, food and drink because of course the doctor asks if any of the elders have caught the disease and of course they've not you can see where this is headed while this little chat has been going on ian has been fully coughing his guts up and 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 is choking and then collapses um unconscious and the elder tells him that this is almost certainly the sense fear disease and that ian is dying well at least it's ian suffering for once They quickly suspect that the water is what has caused Ian's symptoms. He's the only one of them who drank it. The doctor begins to suspect that it's not in fact a disease, but poison. Meanwhile, two elder sensorites discuss whether Ian's collapse has been faked by the doctor to gain their trust so that they can fake cure him and get back to the TARDIS. They decide to allow him to attempt to cure Ian anyway. The administrator, the cheeky sensorite that he is, is not happy. He orders the scientists to kill off John. Another elder is having none of it and tells him he's going to get in big trouble, but still the administrator tells the scientists that the doctor is going to betray them. John begins blabbering again, muttering evil under his breath, serving as more evidence to the administrator that the doctor is a wrong one. But John admits later that he meant evil amongst the sensorites, not the doctor. The administrator notices, though, and is just twisting the situation to suit him. The elders decide not to let the doctor into the TARDIS just in case, but give him access to the laboratory and says, he gets proper mad and shouty and it hurts them. They do not like the noise. He then agrees to use the laboratory. The administrator is trying to plot to use the disintegrator on the travellers again, to which he needs a key. He plots to disguise himself with the sashes as an elder to get it back. Are you keeping up? Meanwhile, the doctor suspects that the water supply has atropine poison in it. He is told that there are different districts from which the water is taken, and he asks for more samples. The poison is only found in District 8, and he prepares an antidote. The administrator is going ahead with his plot and kidnaps an elder and his family, taking the sash and saying he will use it to prove that the doctor is evil. He believes that the antidote is actually poison and that it will be given to the sensorites to wipe them all out so that the sense sphere can be harvested for its rich materials. He smashes the test tube with the antidote inside, but later Susan manages to grab a vial to heal Ian. The doctor is then taken to the aqueduct to find the source of the poison. The scientist sensorite says they can't stay long up because it's dark and there are monsters inside. Oh dear. Apparently they've never seen the monster, but they've just heard it roar. The doctor is suspicious and considers how convenient it is that the aqueduct is dark and noisy which are both things that the sensorites can't tolerate. Upon finding out that the Doctor has gone down to the aqueduct, Ian and Susan hear the sensorites talk about the danger and go and attempt to rescue him. The Elder is super impressed with how the TARDIS crew and the humans care about each other and telepathically tells his fellow Elder that the Doctor, Susan and the humans are really good people, but the administrator overhears and is totally disgusted. Ian is weak AF, but still pops down the aqueduct. While they head towards the Doctor, our hero has made a grave discovery. Deadly Nightshade. Yeah, I was born with poison. 
from voice on the I'm not going to sing any more Lana Del Rey in case we get a copyright strike. And a monstrous <laughs> roar leads us into the next cliffhanger. Creepy figure looms and Ian and Susan run to find the Doctor on the ground. But he's alright, he's just ripped his jacket. The Doctor theorises that a sensorite is plotting against them and that the apparent monster in the aqueduct is poisoning the water supply. Unfortunately, they're overheard by the eavesdropping ally of the administrator. Meanwhile, Carol chats to the Sensees about John, inquiring as to just why he's become so unwell. They explain that the Sensorite brain is always open to receiving information and that the fear part of John's brain just won't shut off, so he's constantly terrified. Same, John. This world. The cheeky spying Sensorite reports back to the administrator that the Doctor is onto him and the administrator demands the key to a weapon called the Disintegrator, which he goes to the courtyard to collect. Once the Doctor, Ian and Susan return to the palace, they ask if Barbara can join them on the sense fit and they encounter the administrator while disguised as an elder. He runs off when the Doctor tries to talk to him. He begins setting up the weapon, but the second elder is like, hell no, and bends the key up, but then gets whacked over the head by the administrator's helper. He's dead. So they decide to pin the murder on the Doctor. Once our friends are back with the Chief Elder, he gives the Doctor a cloak to replace his ripped coat and the Doctor expresses his plan to fix the poisoned water supply. He wants to go back to the aqueduct and kill off the creature inside. Administrator Sensi and his helper return to say that they saw the Doctor murder the second Elder, but everyone else doesn't believe him because he said he saw the Doctor remove a weapon from his coat, but he isn't wearing his coat, so they saw right through it, even when they attempt to change the story. The administrator's assistant is sent to prison and he apologises for bothering everyone. The doctor suggests that the administrator should be the second elder's replacement, silly doc. John is finally healed and he and Carol reunite. He finally explains that when he earlier spoke of evil and betrayal, he was referring to the sensorites plotting against them. The administrator asks if the naughty sensorite is in the room and John says that he isn't because there was something odd with that sensorite's uniform. Elsewhere, the doctor finds an old map of the aqueduct that he asked to be updated for their trip back down. John finally remembers that the dodgy sensorite had a collar and the doctor realises that the administrator is the evil one. The administrator Sensorite is now hatching another plan to weaken the Doctor and Ian when they go down to the aqueduct. The Chief Warrior helps him and they mess up the aqueduct map so the travellers will get lost when they take on their trip. Ian and the Doctor are given a false map and broken weapons and Barbara is finally allowed down to the Sensphere to look after Susan, but nobody will tell them where Ian and the Doctor are going. In the final cliffhanger of the story, Carol, John and Susan begin to prepare a lovely little meal, but a terrifying hand grabs our Carol. The Sensorites force Carol to write a letter to John and Susan saying she's headed back up to the ship. Little do they know, Barbara has just come from the ship and knows Carol isn't there and that they are holding her hostage. They grow more suspicious of the Sensorites and worry where the Doctor and Ian have got to, but the Chief Elder explains that they are down in the aqueducts and didn't want to worry Barbara and Susan again. Susan is clever and realises that the ink on the letter is still wet, so they figure out that Carol is nearby, in the disintegrator room. John finds her as she is being threatened by the chief warrior who is disarmed by John and imprisoned by them both. The Doctor and Ian discover a human in the aqueducts and follow after him. Barbara and John realise the Doc and Ian could be in danger and go after them with Susan staying behind to guide them by using the sensorites communication devices. The Doctor and Ian discover there are more humans, two men and their commander. They realise that they are the survivors from the last human expedition to the Sensphere, the very one the sensorites had mentioned earlier in the story. Turns out the ship that crashed were deserters and the commander blew up their ship before they could escape. The group have been poisoning the sensorites for all this time in an attempt to wipe them out and harvest materials from the Sensphere. The commander also has a very weird conspiracy theory that they are at war with the sensorites, which they're not. 
at all. Finally, Barbara and John turn up. The Doctor convinces the men that they're part of a party to celebrate the victory of winning the war against the Sensorites. Barbara contacts the Senses to let them know that they are leaving the aqueduct and to come and seize the humans. The First Elder gives permission for Maitland to take the humans back to Earth and gives the exciting announcement that the Administrator has been banished for his crimes. Yay! And the TARDIS lock has been popped back and the gang can finally leave. Back in the TARDIS, the Doctor, Barbara, Susan and Ian watch the ship leave and return back to Earth on the scanner. And then Ian causes the right kerfuffle by mentioning that at least they know where they're going. To which the Doctor responds with a lot of anger, telling them that wherever they go next, he's leaving Ian there in a massive vibe shift at the end of this story, and it's so random. David, you look like you've died. I just say, I never, I know that I'm going to regret saying these words, but I never want to deal with a six-part story ever again. Okay, I'm going to begin by saying... Here she goes. I'm going to begin by saying that this was the first story of of the Who Watch so far, where I literally sat down and put it on, and I and it just kept playing, and I didn't clock watch. Really? I, I didn't check my phone. I wasn't like, oh, which part is next? Because normally I split it, so I might do three parts today, three parts tomorrow, or yeah. you know, whatever. So that because sometimes I can lose concentration, like my attention span. I got to episode five and I and I just zoomed all the way through because I loved it so much. I do still think it could have been five parts instead of six parts because part yeah. five dragged on a bit for me, but I thought it was great. I really loved it. I didn't love this. Oh my gosh. I did love it. There were bits of it I really, really liked. I love the sense of rights as a concept. I think they're a great alien. And I really liked that for a good chunk of this, actually, there's a lot of conversation around what like what Susan's role is in the TARDIS. Mm. And I think it's really interesting that we are technically, I looked ahead to season two, spoilers, we are two, three stories away from her leaving the TARDIS. Yeah, and it, I, it, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this story about that. There's there's a scene with John and Carol where she's talking about marriage and you can see that Susan mm. sort of looks a bit wistful. There's all the arguing with the Doctor about her agency and whether she's allowed to have an opinion. Yeah. She's also like spends a lot of the episode using the telepathy and actually pushing the story forward and yes. communicating with the sensorites, showing that she is capable. And you can kind of tell that she's, she's getting a bit like... I mean, there's even a line at the very end of the last episode where she's like, oh, I... She basically says, I... I I wonder what it would be like to settle down yeah. in one place and not be a wanderer anymore. And so it's, it really is foreshadowing that she's about to go. A lot of foreshadowing. And also, like you said, there's like a lot of her, her being the story driver, her being yeah. the person that pushes this on, which I really liked because the last couple of stories have been a lot of her like in a room or screaming or being in a... Like, the, like at the Aztecs, the majority of the time she sat there mm-hmm. doing a shit version of My Fair Lady. Yeah, she like, did not do very much. At all. And and it's interesting as well because I think that Barbara drove a lot of the Aztecs. Yeah. So for this one, Jacqueline Hill was on holiday so she disappears for two episodes. We're back for those 1960s holiday rules. Yeah, so we have Susan really in it so much more than she has been. It, it feels like something, like a vibe shift with the TARDIS mm. team in this story. At the beginning of the story, they're all just like oh, this is actually really fun travelling in the TARDIS. Like, where are we now? And I think Ian says, oh, it's not that bad being with you, Doctor, or something like that. Um, and they've all got their places with each other, mm. which is why the end of this story is so weird when the Doctor gets so angry at Ian, because he spends the whole six parts being like proper pals with Ian, and their friendship is really mm. cute. Um, but yeah, the characterization in this story is amazing. I think for me, the thing that I just... that made it not not for me, this episode... Not saying that I didn't like it. I liked it. I, I like. I had. A, I had fun. But I just there was a lot of this that felt a little bit predictable when they're on the ship and Ian's like, "Oh, 
like theorizing as to maybe the fact that they're being kept here is because humans came here before and like wanted okay. the planet for natural resources and the sensor rights then 20 minutes later go we had some humans and they came here and we kept them away because they wanted our planet for natural resources then you've got oh no the water the water what could what could possibly right, be causing but... ian to get sick and then you've got the fact that oh the darkness and the noise what could be down here that possibly would know that there's darkness and noise it's like Okay, well, with the darkness and the noise bit, that was the one plot twist I didn't guess. I was like, oh, is there really... Like, I, maybe I, I was just zooming through it and I didn't... And when it was the humans, I was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. That's really interesting. But is it only predictable because you've watched Doctor Who, knew Doctor Who for such a long time and that story's been done so many times? Because think about it this way. This is, like, the first time that's happened in Classic Who. And I thought to see the way that that was, was born in this story or the way it was written was super, super interesting. I don't think it was... I don't think that it was because... I've watched so much Doctor Who. I think it was because this is an episode that is is written for children. Like, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm saying that in the in the way that this show was written for 1960s eight year olds, mm. right? And that's who that's who the show is for. And so, I, but this felt like one of the first times where I was like. Oh, I can see that this is written for eight year olds in the 1960s. I've just realised that maybe my brain is actually eight years old because I loved it so much. I really, really love this story. Um, and I thought it was written so beautifully. There's a scene, so you know that famous quote where he's like, oh, it all started out as a mild curiosity in a junkyard. Yeah, I really that, like that. That scene is in there and that was really beautiful. But also, Laura alert, later on, there's a scene where Susan talks about Gallifrey and it's mm. the first time we hear that Gallifrey has orange, burnt orange skies and silver leaves on the trees. And it's just the way she described the planet with the telepathic plants like it was all it i found it written so beautifully that like i was like i have to find out who wrote this i googled the writer very handsome man might i just say <laughs> peter r newman i googled it because i was so invested in the writing and the storytelling and i i think especially compared to the keys of Marinus and the aztecs it's not bogged down in like having to remember loads of characters having to remember lots of um words and concept like i just really mm. think that maybe it being simple is what really serves it we're the, we're the opposite vibe today. I think I really just think that like this just just wasn't the one for me, and I think that's okay. I think there are so many good elements of this story, and the sensorites—they're a great alien. But I, I keep just thinking like where we're at is we're seven episodes, we're seven stories into Doctor Who mm. from the beginning. So obviously we know now. I'm going to explain for the listener that um, the Ood from the new series of Doctor Who are inspired by the Sensorites mm-hmm. and it's later confirmed in New Who that the, the Ood Sphere planet is in the same, like it's like a twin planet or it's like in the same system as the Sense Sphere. And that I think that maybe the Ood like cousins of the Sensorites or something like that. That concept to me, like that they, they look visually so terrifying but then it's really nice because they immediately turn that on their head and they're like oh they're actually kind of peaceful and they they implicitly trust the rest of their race the way we're introduced to their world and the way that Susan interacts with them is so so interesting because she makes friends with them and she's like using the telepathy to communicate with them we said with the keys of Marinus we didn't really get enough of like the Vord and like the other alien stuff it's really nice to see a proper proper alien race in Doctor Who that's not like the Daleks and the lore didn't feel too heavy no it, it was easy to understand easy to understand but also it, it felt natural it didn't feel like here's everything you need to know about my species yeah it was very much like oh we're peaceful and you could tell that like sound really affected them and they mm. were like they like 
ironically enough, sensory like stuff was really interesting around them and yeah. they had a, a a hierarchy of society but everyone was happy and yeah the world building and this is really really smart it doesn't yeah. feel forced i thought that basically like the writing and the pacing was so good that i never really felt bored apart mm. from i think there was a little bit in episode five where i was a little bit oh, like this can wrap up now but, yeah because also i guess you go from the the initial stuff with the the spaceship and like it's kind of quite scary because you don't know what's going to happen and mm. the sensor is not there yet until the end of right at the end of episode one mm-hmm. i think or episode two um and so they go from the spaceship to the sense sphere and then there's the aqueduct so they're sort of the pacing is so so good it felt like a new who story to me a little mm. bit like i i just didn't i didn't switch it off until i was like oh, i should probably go to bed now one thing that i think is interesting and i would like to hear your take on this because i don't think my take is as nuanced mm-hmm I found it really interesting that. Are you okay, my love? Yes, I'm just. Should we go and get a tea or a coffee? No, no, it's okay. okay. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna push through. I just found it really interesting that Susan and Barbara are the ones who, like, work out that it's telepathy, and mm-hmm. that's how they communicate, and Ian the, and the doctor never really utilise telepathy. Because we, we get this thing throughout Doctor Who that I've started to notice and that you've, pick, you've picked up on previously is... Intuition. In, the intuition the of female women. Intuition. Female intuition. Yeah. Is something that keeps coming up. Well, uh, yeah, it's also that you're right. Like, Barbara always has this intuition that seems to always be right. Like, it came yeah. up in Edge of Destruction. It happened a lot in the Aztecs. But also, she's also the first one to be like... Ian always goes straight in with the violence. Mm-hmm. And then Barbara's the first one to be like, maybe we shouldn't use violence. Or, you know, these creatures aren't harming us, so why don't we take a step back? You know, yeah. it's interesting because obviously it's a little bit of a stereotype, I would think. Yeah. But also she has female intuition, but it's rock like she's she's right most of the time. Yeah. So it's it's actually kind of nice because it's like, oh, women women kind of maybe are able to tell things and are able to navigate situations mm-hmm. based on how they feel and it and it's not always like wrong <laughs> with susan and the telepathy in the last episode the doctor and susan are talking about it and she's like she gets really sad because the the sense rights have told her that she can't use the tele- telepathy anymore basically mm. and, she, and then the doctor's like oh but it seems to be something you're good at so maybe we can work it out, work it out when we're home and work out how to you can utilize it yeah and i thought that was a really nice scene because again it's like susan having like her own power i think we'll see as it goes on like how she grows through the next three few episodes to her leaving but it's nice to see her finally have that Mm -hmm. it's of her own the music cues in this are so all over the whack i don't i do not understand it i don't think i noticed the music at all (laughs) there's points where it will like like music will crescendo and then rather than do what you would do now which is kind of like fade out gently like it comes in as like really big crescendo and then it will just cut and there's no there's no like um it felt like you know back in the day how you edit films together you would just like snip a piece of film and stick the next one onto it it felt like that but with the music it's like it's like a hard cut and it's just so disorientating where you have these moments of just like sudden sudden rises of music and then suddenly just like cut and we're gonna listen to carol talk now for three minutes i i honestly didn't notice that so i have nothing to say like <laughs> I, I can't respond to that because i didn't notice at all but go back to episode one and, I just, imagine that's and quite watch jarring. it again it's just so yeah. jarring at points i was just like i can't i can't i can't deal with this <laughs> 
I can I read a couple of my notes because they're so Go funny. On. Peter R. Newman, I love your writing and your face. That's the writer I've of the not episode. Seen his face. I need oh, to look Google this up. Peter R. Newman. He's Hang a very on. handsome man. I think also this is his only Doctor Who story that he wrote. Well, I want to come back onto that, so don't 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 go too far. Okay. Um. Uh. I think he looks a bit like Eddie Red- Redmayne, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. Um. Oh no! What have you found out about this man? No, I just think. You think I'm wrong? Is that what you're saying? I telling just me? yeah, I just think you're wrong. I I, I think yeah. he's hot. Uh, he's not for me. He looks a bit ill. Anyway, that was my note. I like his Peter R. Newman. I love your writing and your face. Well, good, good for you. I've also written. <laughs> I don't like the voices. I want to have silence in my head. Same, John. <laughs> Same. Is, is it a bit of a colonization story? Like this was before I knew what was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've also put Carol looks like Emerald Fennel. Because she does. Oh, she does a little bit. Like, like if you were re- if you re- if you were reshooting this, you would use you would use um, Emerald Fennel. Emerald Fennel. <laughs> Fennel is that how you say it? I don't know. Um, I say Fennel, but I think that's because it's one of those class things, isn't it? It is one of those class things. I'm working class in it. No, but I mean, like she. She's like Emerald Fennel. Fennel, yeah. yeah. It's bouquet bucket. Who the fuck says bouquet? <laughs> no, it's like hyacinth bouquet. Keep, Beth, keeping up appearances. I've watched it when I, a little bit when I was a oh, kid, but I don't, really, I don't remember it. Bouquet residence, lady of the house speaking. But that's the whole point is like that her surname is actually Bucket. I wrote down, my, one of my favourite lines that still is in this is when um, after the Doctor has kind of brought Susan back from sacrificing herself and going down to the planet, they, they have this conversation and it's like very much the... Um, oh, you're leaving in three episodes. It's time we, we rant up the tension yeah. type conversation. And um, the doctor says, you know, since traveling, since we went on our travels, we've never had an argument. I was like, sir, your granddaughter literally jumped you four stories ago when you were tra- kidnapping her teachers on board the TARDIS. The thing is, what he's really saying here is Susan never normally... He bites back. She never stands yeah. up for herself. Yeah. And then he goes and blames the Sensorite. And I'm just it, like, he's like, why do you make her unhappy? And it's like, yeah, why do you make her unhappy? And <laughs> Imagine the Sensorite just was like, why do I make her unhappy? This is my friend, the mirror. <laughs> and it's just like a classic... I nearly said man thing, but I don't think it is. I just mean I, it's no, like, I think it is a bit of a man I, thing. I, I don't want to get hated on. But well, I just, as, like, as, not, a, as not, a man, as a cis man, I'm telling you it's a bit of a man thing Yeah, sometimes. it's just he's not like, taking accountability. Instead of actually taking out accountability for his actions, he's saying he's saying it's the Sensorite's fault that caused the argument, but it's not. It's the Doctor's fault. And Susan, poor Susan, has to deal with that. Can we talk about how good some of the cliffhangers? I think some of the cliffhangers oh, are really great for this yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Deadly nightshade. Deadly nightshade. And also the first, the first time we see a sensor being the cliffhanger and it just creeps up the window is iconic. Oh, I, I genuinely was scared. I genuinely was scared. I was because it, also within about twenty minutes you're like, oh, they're kind of cute, but at that moment they like, look oh, so scary. He's trying, for it. but it reminded me of um, it reminded me of Linda with a Y dying by the Dalek in the window, and I was just like, oh, go away, go away, go away. Go away, go off the ship. I think that the concept that they keep them in orbit and they don't kill them, but they just like keep them like give them night and give them food and yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that. That's really in- like I think that's such an interesting place for them to land. Reminds me of like, do you remember that Bailey J Mills video? I, by the way, I freaking love Bailey J. Mills, and they're on my list of people that I would like to get on this podcast. Yeah, one of my favorite Bailey J. Mills videos is, is the girl who comes home from school and is talking to her mum, and Bailey plays the mum, and she's like, "How was school?" 
Was <laughs> <laughs> it? Was it? Packing the crisps and up to bed. <laughs> you heard me. Shut up. Packing the crisps and up to bed. <laughs> and it just reminds me of the sensor arts because they're just kind of like, oh, how was your how was your invasion? Oh, <laughs> night all. Packing the crisps and up to bed. That is such a niche reference, and I love it. Yes. What I really loved about this was, so the problem, one of the problems that we had with Aztecs was that there were just so many people to keep up with, character-wise. Too many men, too many men. Yeah. (laughs) And for this, I loved that we had three three members of crew, all of which I got to know and really liked, and could tell them apart and know who they are, and I know know the point of them. The actor that plays John is insane. How he Mm. went from like that meek little frightened man to this sexy kind of like... Husband to be of Carol. I was like, okay, John. Um, And I love Carol. She was great. Maitland was great. And I just, I I just think that and the pacing really made me care about every Mm. element of the story. Can I, can I, can I say something that I think will get me shot? Do you think that the cavemen, you know, you mean the the that the first human expedition? Yeah, that looked like cavemen. Do you you think that they they got they got (laughs) bored? Do you, do you think they that absolutely did when they got bored they were like you know I mean yeah let's try things as my Melania Trump listen to this as Melania sorry, Trump mom. once said any hole is a goal sorry mum should we go on to our segments yeah I think let's do it should we start with our quote of the story yes would you like to go first? I have a quote that made me laugh. Yeah. And then I have a little quote as well that was that also made me laugh, but I, I think the first one's a better contender. Okay. That makes sense. So Which one quote, will win the battle to go on the poster? <laughs> so the, the quote that I the first quote that made me laugh was I feel as if somebody has given me a good going over with a hammer. Yeah, I like that one. I that really that made one. me chuckle. But then also later on, Susan is like taking the piss out of the sensorites and their walk and she's and she describes them as going flip flap flip flap flip flap flip flap and i think both of these quotes are quite funny they're good ones my one was carol saying that what she's gonna eat when she gets back back down to earth a big juicy steak <laughs> i don't remember her saying that god she delivers lines in such a camp way sometimes and also <laughs> you can tell Caroline Ford is really happy with the raid that Susan has been written in this story and that she has a lot to do. Yeah. She delivers stuff so well in this story. She's just so mm. good. I like going over with a hammer. Me too. <laughs> R.I.P. Big juicy. I have a big juicy steak. <laughs> okay, Carol. Is, uh, do you know what? I could also eat a big juicy steak right now. Oh. <laughs> I'll go and fry one. Thanks. Yeah, we want one big juicy steak. <laughs> And a going over with a hammer. Going go, go over with a hammer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a flip flap, a flip flap for David. <laughs> flip flap, medium rare. <laughs> Can we do our fun facts? Yeah. Do you want to do your fun fact first? My fun fact. Well, it's less of a fun fact, and it's more that I just wanted to shed some light on some of the people that worked behind the scenes on the sense rights because yes. I think so often we mention the actors. And maybe the writers and maybe the directors. But I wanted to talk about um, the people that made the Sensorite masks and the costumes. Oh, okay. So the costume designer was Daphne Dare, which is just such a great name. That's a spy name. That's a spy name. Daphne Dare. The, Daphne the Mysterious Dare. Adventures of Daphne Dare. Where in the world is Daphne Dare? Um, and a makeup artist called Jill Summers. Apparently the, the masks were designed for short actors. Um, 
for some reason. Uh, I think most of the sensor rights are quite short. Mm-hmm. And she, Daphne, designed them to look like wise old men, which I think they definitely do. They do have a bit mm. of wise old men about them. Yeah, they do. Um, mouth, mouth flaps were concealed beneath the creature's beards to allow the actors to speak. And I love that they're described as mouth flaps. Love a mouth flap. Not the mouth flaps. <laughs> um, and apparently their feet, the sensor rights feet, which are basically big discs yeah very funny hence the flip flap um they were created by stretching out pieces of circular card at the end of the costume and it made made it really difficult for the actors to walk i'm not surprised Um, but yeah just like a shout out to daphne dare and jill summers uh we love women that work on doctor who did such Mm. a stunning job of the sensorites and i think they really hold up today i really i'm really I, i agree i love them they're really good costumes my fun fact it's not really a fact it's more a it's, it, well, it's, it's actually a plug for a mutual... No, not mutual friend, because I don't actually know this person, but you know this person. Do I? Yes. Toby Haydock. Oh, I love... Yeah. So, love Toby Haydock. He's so a good pal. Toby did a really interesting documentary, which I've not watched, but I will go and watch now when I'm not watching Reign of Terror, lol. Toby did a really interesting documentary about the writer of this, which yeah, is I read about um, that. Peter Newman. I'm so excited to watch this now. And apparently not very much was known about him before mm-hmm. this documentary. Like There was even question marks over like when he died and mm. what he was doing and like so it's it's a collection of um documentaries that toby has done for about like various people who were involved in early doctor who mm. it's, it's a looking for a series and i remember that when we went to go and watch the time meddler mm. which we'll come to next series oh like, at the bfi and the bfi there was a, yeah. he did another one of these documentaries which i'm sure we'll, we'll talk about mm. so there's things in the documentary like the fact that there was no real kind of writing down about who he was within the community um his middle name being revealed as richard um (laughs) i kind of look at some of the rumors that came about about because people didn't know about who he was and so Mm. there was like a lot of circle rumors circling about his cause of death debunking the rumor that he took his own life Mm. actually he died of an accident so there's a lot of of, there's a lot in that documentary that i think will be really interesting to watch Mm. um and yeah, to find out about this person who has like created this really great story. Yeah, I think I am so invested in that now. And I, I think the thing I love about um, watching Doctor Who from the beginning is that I'm finding my little niches of like interest. Mm. So like I'm super, super invested in Peter Richard Newman and Daphne Dare now, and I want to go and find out more. And, and there's so much content out there, and people, amazing people like Toby have covered it. And I just, I'm like, I love, I'm learning so much about Doctor Who mm. and about the ones that I don't really, I don't think I'll ever go and research any of the stuff to do with the Aztecs, but like for the Sensorites. So I'm not meaning to shit on the Aztecs, it's just that it was you the just last. You keep coming back and it was just because on the Aztecs. It was the last one we watched and I didn't enjoy it very much. But for this, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm fully invested in the Sensorites, who wrote it, who worked on it, everything that's come after it about it. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there. It's yeah. my, I'm, it's my, it's my new obsession. It's my new hyperfixation. <laughs> Love that fact. Should we do our stars as well? Because we want to yeah. our stars. Should we say our stars at the same time? Because I think they're going to be wildly different and yeah. really funny. Three, two, one. Five. Three. Yeah. I think that this might be one of my favourite Doctor Who stories ever, and I want to give it five stars because I enjoyed it so much. Sometimes I don't. I, I was. I was not in. I was not feeling great when I watched it. And I just, I think I actually, at that moment in time, really needed Doctor Who to comfort me. And I felt that it did that. And I just watched, banged out like five episodes in a row with like a cup of tea last night. And it made me feel so much better. Actually, it made me feel way more excited about the other Doctor Who stuff I'm working Mm -hmm. on. Like, I think I needed a Doctor Who pick me up. Mm -hmm. And that really picked me up. And so I'm giving it five stars. I get it. Like, I, I understand why this would be like a really great story. And 
I'm sure that if I was a bit younger and I was watching this, what are you saying that's about not, me? No, that's not meant to be patronising. No, no, I'm sorry. That's that. that David is saying I'm the stupid one. Yeah, you're he's stu- the clever stupid one. Stupid Beth, stupid Beth. Up next time, it's not you. <laughs> no, that I apologise. That was not meant to be patronising. No, what it's I'm not, saying no is that I'm not in. Uh, I, I'm I, this. This didn't hit it for me at this particular point in my existence. Yeah, and that's if I fine. come back to it maybe later, mm. if I like, if I was younger, I absolutely would have absolutely loved this. I know I would have loved this as a kid. I just right now watching it, I was just kind of like, I just thought it was a little bit too predictable for me, and, and that's okay. Should we go into our background character then? Yes, our background character of the week. We choose someone or something that encapsulates the joy of being on a Doctor Who set in the 1960s. Yeah, so when we first started the podcast, not that many weeks ago, we Millions thought we ago. would pick a background ca- character for every story because yeah. we thought it would be quite funny. Um, it would give us like an opportunity to really like watch the story and see what's happening in it and see who, mm. who's, who's behind the scenes and in the background and stuff. I think what we're learning is that in the 1960s, they didn't have enough money to pay people to be extras to be in the extras. backgrounds of things. Yeah. I'm happy to still call it background character of the week. Yeah. It can include side characters. Fine. My background character of the week, however, is not actually a human being or an alien. Love that. It is um, the massive water jug that the doctor gets when the they're sitting jug. down for dinner. <laughs> um, that just looks like it looks like a it looks like a kind of thing that you would find in the medieval courthouse. <laughs> like this massive I don't think I brown this. jug. It's so funny the different things that we notice that I just like I'd never noticed the jug or the steak thing, but I'm you like, did. Home decor. <laughs> Can I okay, add that so to my Pinterest board? The Doctor's Jug. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my side character was just going to be, and I found it really funny because the, the when they find the human expedition in the last episode, mm-hmm. there's three of them left, um, and they're called, like, Number One, Number Two, and Commander. <laughs> and I found it really funny that they all look the same, and they all look like Matthew Bainton from <laughs> Ghosts, or Horrible History's fame, you might know him from. So they all, they, it's just like, there's just, like, three Matthew Baintons um, and none of the two of them just don't really say very much, and so <laughs> I just put number one is my my background character. Multiple <laughs> it's Matthew so funny that it's called number one. Everyone Matthew Bates for... number one, Matthew Bates number two, and Commander Matthew Bates. Everyone is for breakfast. I have two Matthew Baintons with hot milk. <laughs> have you had your Matthew Bainton today? <laughs> every every episode we pick a song of the story. One song that we think summarises the entire story and we put it onto a playlist and that playlist is available on Spotify for you to listen to. Um, I'm struggling this week because there's two songs that I would really like to add to the playlist. I have two songs too, which right. is a nightmare. Let's see if we're actually we've got any crossover. Okay. I don't think we will, but why okay. don't we do, Why don't we do a song each? So I'll, I'll say a song, you say a song, I'll say a song, you say a song. Okay, you go first. My first song is Christina Aguilera and Nile Rodgers' Telepathy. <laughs> Of course. Which is one of the greatest songs of all time. I, I actually don't, I wouldn't be able to say what that how that song went off. I will play my it head, for you but later. But probably if you played it. So that that kind of goes hand in hand with mine because my one, my first my first thought for song of the story uh-huh. was Read Your Mind by Sabrina Carpenter. Great, yes. Um, but actually the lyrics are about how she can't read the person's mind. Okay. So then later I changed the song. But you, you say your next song. So my, my second one is Telepathy by Conan Gray. Oh my God. Yeah. I love Conan Gray. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite songs of like 2020, 2021. Was, was that, that song? Sings, um, you maniac. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know if I've heard that song, but I think I have. But yeah, oh, such good. Yeah. Good, okay, they're pretty good options. What's your second? My second song was Poison by Alice Cooper. Why? Poison. Uh, right. 
in. And then there's a bit where it says, my senses tell me to stop. And I heard it as senses. And I was like, that's what I was called, <laughs> the sensorites. My senses. And also the whole story is about poison. Yeah. I I'm, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna lock in. Given your reaction, I'm gonna lock in telepathy by Conan Gray. Okay, let's 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 do telepathy by Conan Gray. Yay. Yay! Normally, at this point, we talk about news that's happening in the Doctor Who universe. Uh, we've just talked about the fact that this weekend. I oh know. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll have been last weekend. Yeah. There's like sculptures are being created to celebrate the 15th and 14th Doctor out of recycled tech. But also, more importantly, by the time you listen to this, oh, yeah. we would have seen Shooty Gatwa's first scene as the Doctor. Oh, yeah, I forgot He's about that. regenerating tomorrow. Well, the 14th regenerating tomorrow. So I that's f- the big news. The big news is that the giggle is on. And by the time... The giggle. We're, we're recording this before the giggle, but by the, by the time you listen to this, you would have watched the giggle. Also, the Goblin song is due out on oh, Monday. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. Can the we actually song. talk about the Goblins? Because... By the I- time th- this is out, the Goblin song will be released Out. and we haven't heard it yet but we know that the goblins are serving on that cover the goblins are serving that middle goblin is so me coded tag yourself like tag find the goblin the middle lady you. one is so me coded the she femme has goblin the, she has the eye makeup she has the nails um her lashes are similar to yours yeah the goblin has the same eye makeup as me I haven't had my nails done in a while, but normally I would, you know, you know yeah. my history with nails. Yeah. So she is so me coded. I love her. I'm very obsessed with the fact that we are getting a whole song for the Goblin. Me too. I can't wait. The Goblin wait. song before season series ten soundtrack. Honestly, get that in my veins right now. That's going to be our song of the story one day. <laughs> That's the basics of the news. And then that is the basics of the news. Then our next episode will be the last one of this season. Oh my goodness, Reign of Terror. I don't want to talk about it before we get there, please. You I've talked about how much set, I hate the rain. Set of me up to hate this. I hate it so much, and I'm really actually I'm really hoping that I hate it so much that I surprise myself when I watch it and I enjoy it more than I did when I first watched it. I'm giving a shout out to my friend Alfie because he told me off recently for. Um, <laughs> Where's this going? Well, so we really, um, me and David have discussed how sexy we thought the fouls were. Yep. I even recently made a foul fan cam for our TikTok. Yeah. Um, and. My friend Alfie of Big Finish fame, when I was talking to him about it, yes. when he was listening to the podcast, was like, you're so hashtag thorny. <laughs> um, and then he said he was disappointed that I didn't put it in the podcast. So here you go, Alfie. Mm. You can leave me the fuck alone now. And also, can I just add that the street that I got, got off the bus at to get to where we are currently recording was called Thorny Street. So... Spotted. Dalek Khan manipulating the timelines. Dalek Khan is manipulating the timelines. Thorny is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I call it Thorny. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm um, going that was, that was my shout head. out. Um, we, we, as always, would love to shout out the wonderful Reese Connolly for designing our artwork. It looks stunning every single time that I see it. Thank you so much, Reese. We love you. Has anyone ever made a Connolly Sarf joke to him? I know it's Colony Sarf, but Reese, if you're listening, <laughs> has anyone ever made that joke Can to you? Can someone, someone buy this person uh, one of those hoverboards? <laughs> we... No, that wasn't it a, um... No, it was a hoverboard. Oh, was it an actual hoverboard? It was, not, it was like... I you, thought it was a, you know, a Segway. I thought it was a Segway. No, no, you know those like rolly, <gasps> really, really... Oh, really I know rolly. the ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> we'll get there. There's my fun fact for 2015's Doctor Who. Um, um, and I would like to shout out Hayden Wynn. Yes. 
for the amazing theme music, as always, um, that plays in this episode. It's all because of you, Hayden. Thank, Thank you so you much gorge. for our beautiful, you mini Murray Gold. You mini little Murray Gold. You mini Murray Gold. Except you understand the difference between fortissimo and pianissimo. And that's a little joke for those of you who like music theory. Uh, we will see you next week for the Reign of Terror. I'm going to go and lie down. Best going to go and, I don't know. I'm going to go and um, do more Doctor Who work. Oh, so, Lord. love that. I hate this show. <laughs> no, I love this show. Well, the sense writers made me really excited to do my Doctor Who work. So, yay. Yay. Oh, oh can I shout out myself? You can go to the Doctor Who website, <laughs> doctorwho.tv, and go and look at all the recent articles that I've written for the official Doctor Who website. I was going to put it into the into the link tree, but I wasn't sure if we were allowed to. I wasn't sure if you were like credited on the website. Or... I don't think, actually, I don't think my name's on it, but I did write them. So She promises. Fabulous. Well, we'll see you next week for the Reign of Terror, my loves. Bye-bye, my little Whovians. But... <laughs> <laughs> Who watched podcasts? Out. <laughs> I was... Why was I hurry for David? <laughs> Bye. Bye. Switch it off. Switch that reverse it.